pre-care experience would be more things around, have I been provided with an estimate of what I can expect to owe once I do have this episode of care? Were my appointment reminders clear? Was I reminded when to go to the doctor to keep my appointment? Hello and welcome to HIMSCast. I'm Susan Morse, Executive Editor of Healthcare Finance News. We're talking today with Kristen Jacobson, who is RevSpring Vice President of Omni Channel Engagement and Marketing. Welcome, Kristen. Thank you, Susan. Um, great to have you here. Can you first uh, start by telling us about yourself and what RevSpring does? Sure. Uh, well, as you said, I run um, omni-channel engagement, um, really our suite of solutions and our patient engagement practice, sort of broadly at RevSpring. Um, and I also run the marketing organization. Um, that's not a coincidence that those two roles um, are together. I you know, really spent my career um, thinking about how to engage um, prospects and consumers of um, companies that I've worked for in my marketing role, um, and that kind of naturally transition transitions into how can I help our customers think about how to engage um, their patients across that patient experience. So um, really exciting um, kind of dual role that I have at RevSpring. Um, RevSpring is a patient engagement technology company, um, and we've historically really focused more on the billing and payment um, side of the patient engagement experience, if you will. Um, and what we've found is as more and more healthcare organizations are looking at really moving those payment conversations forward, um, there's been a lot of opportunity for us to really build out a more holistic approach um, to how we help um, healthcare provider organizations engage their patients, not just around payment conversations, but really around that full um, sort of journey or relationship with providers. Um, do I take it then that RevSpring works with providers in the revenue cycle space and engaging patients? Is that what it does? That's correct. Yes. Oh, great. Okay. I'm glad I have uh, an understanding of that. Thank you so much. But I understand that earlier this year, RevSpring released a voice of the patient survey. And what did you learn in that? Um, we learned a lot. Um, so first of all, we do, um, just to give a little bit of a history, we do that report um, and that survey pretty much every couple years. Um, the reason that we do that is, you know, we spend a lot of time um, talking to our customers and our prospects to understand, you know, what what's happening in their business, what their strategy is. Um, what innovations they'd like us to introduce um, to help them solve um, challenges with, with patient engagement and really help them delight their patients. Um, but it's really difficult for us to not think about the patient and what their experience is when we're thinking about how to continue to innovate and help um, really help our customers um, as providers build you know, more lasting relationships with, with their patients. So we do that survey every couple of years and we ask questions really looking to understand um, how, uh, what their current experience is. And these are not um, patients that are necessarily in 
um, the domain of being RevSpring's clients patients, this is a broad patient survey. So we're really looking to get kind of get um, the pulse of the market in terms of what is the patient experience? What do they like? What's changed about what they like, right? So as we look at every couple of years, what's getting better? Um, and then what we're really looking for is what are the gaps? What are the things that patients um, are not experiencing today um, that they expect from their providers that we can really help um, introduce into the market in terms of solutions that will help you know, kind of move patient experience forward. So what we found that has is remained fairly unchanged over the last several years is that um, patients are still highly likely to leave their provider um, if they have a poor experience um, with, with their provider. Um, we've always asked that question around billing and payment, and that number is around 63% would be inclined to leave if they had a poor billing experience. Um, we asked for the first time about the pre-care experience, and that's actually higher. So about 67% of patients um, would be inclined or consider leaving their provider if they had a, a poor pre-care experience. Um, but what's the pre-care experience? So the pre-care experience would be more things around, have I been provided with an estimate of what I can expect to owe once I do have this episode of care? Were my appointment reminders clear? Was I reminded when to go to the doctor to keep my appointment? Was I um, informed about how to prepare for that appointment? Um, what was the check-in process like, right? When I got to the doctor, was it easy for me to um, fill in the forms, make a, you know, also make a payment, but on the pre-care experience? So all those things that, that happen um, from an engagement standpoint before the patient ever sees the doctor, um, are things that they're actually now um, reporting that there's even a slightly higher, um, I guess, pressure on provider organizations to make sure that that's um, also a really um, meaningful experience. The other thing that's interesting about that is that that really um, breaks down by generational factors. So when we do these surveys, we don't just ask what the common experience is, we wanna look at how do those survey results really differ across different characteristics of the patient. For example, what type of, you know, what type of encounter did they have? Um, what age is the patient? And one of the things that, that we found um, through, through those questions is that 67% um, that or 63% that are likely to leave is even higher for younger patients. So they're really more inclined to be less loyal than their provider to their provider. Um, just the nature of how healthcare is involved and how you know, those younger um, patients really think more about that consumer experience and the choice of where to yeah. get their healthcare. And among the older population, they're really much more loyal to you know, that doctor, that um, health, uh, health network that they've um, been using you know really probably most most of their lives so there's really increasing pressure to really engage and activate these these younger modern consumers to keep them coming back I'm wondering with all that it is expected from by patients what role does IT and AI play we keep hearing about how technology is supposed to make for a better interface with the consumer is it do they how are they reacting to technology, reacting with, you know, a, a chat bot rather than an actual person? 
Yeah. So, it, I mean, it's an interesting um, challenge for this market. Um, you know, a, AI and chatbots, specifically chatbots, I think AI has a lot, you know, broader application than just what we kind of think about from the chatbot standpoint. But um, it, it, when you think about healthcare and the fact that patients are a consumer, um, but they're also a patient, right? And they're dealing with, with healthcare situations. Often, often it's a um, uh, a, a more, um, I want to use the word, um, um, touchy, right. Or sensitive, um, yeah. encounter that you might be dealing with. So I think as an industry, we really have to, to understand what's the right, um, sort of application for chat type automation when we're dealing, um, with, with patients specifically. Um, it's a little bit different if the chat bot, for your airline reservation or to schedule your, you know, router repair from your utility company doesn't quite get it right. Um, it's a little tougher when that's a patient who's trying to right. find out the best way to seek their care. So we talk a lot about, right, what's the right role for AI um, in healthcare that still provides sort of that empathetic balance with the patient so that they make sure that they understand that they're getting in touch with the humans or the people that can really help them. So one of the things that, that we're um, looking at and really talking to our customers about is how do you use um, AI type automation to at least shorten the amount of time um, that it takes for staff members to provide that service um, to patients. So if you think about you know, are there ways that we can apply AI just to get them to the right person quicker so the person doesn't have to be, you know, sort of in the um, in the solution stream about getting the patient to the right um, service, if you will? Are there simple questions that we can automate via chat um, that don't kind of get into more complex questions about appointments or complex questions about the bill um, that we can offload, um, you know, some of those um, simpler requests that really allow um, uh, the the personnel within the healthcare organizations to focus on those more complex tasks. And it's it's an important point right now because one of the things that healthcare organizations are obviously really challenged with is staffing. Right? They can't recruit. Right. They can't retain. Um, so we do have to get it right, and we do have to find ways to automate. Um, and I think, you know, among our client base, what we're really seeing is what are those quick wins where you're not, you know, kind of trying to boil the ocean from an AI standpoint, but what are those simple right. things that we can automate to save some time um, for, uh, for the staff organization? I'll give you one example of, um, you know, I don't know that falls into the AI uh, area, but it's certainly a technology innovation um, that we're working with our clients on the intake process. If you think about, and this was actually, you know, turning back to our survey, one of the biggest dissatisfiers for patients that the intake process, when you go and that doctor hands you a clipboard and you fill out that form, it's still, you know, a flat sheet of paper and a pen. Um, and you're answering questions that potentially the doctor already knows about you, but there's no way for that um, for that printed form to be intelligent, if you will. So or one you of find that you fill that out, and then you go see the nurse, and he or she is asking you the same questions all same over questions. again. Right. 
And now right. they've got to take that and they've got to key it in and there's opportunity for error there. So one of the things that we're, we're doing is the ability to capture that as data. So you can, when you check into the doctor's office, you can actually take a picture of your driver's license. You can take a picture of your insurance card that all gets pre-populated um, via OCR. So it all gets transposed as data. And then the only questions you ask a patient are to either confirm data you already know um, and they have the opportunity to change it or you ask them for new information that they don't have. And because that's all an automation, it's all technology, it's all digital, you eliminate the amount of time it takes for the patient to provide the information. You eliminate the, the potential for error when you hand that clipboard to a human who now has to manually mm -hmm. enter it. Um, and it really is sort of a, a, a process accelerator, a time uh, saver, not only for the patient, but for healthcare organizations. So those are really kind of the frictionless things that we're looking for um, and, and bringing forward to help providers do more with the kind of the limited staff they have so they can focus on um, the patient um, needs where they're really needing that human attention. Interesting. And you spoke about... Um earlier, you spoke about the pre-procedure or the pre-appointment process. Did you find from the survey that patients, do they mind an electronic message coming in to say this is to remind you of your appointment? And I don't know about HIPAA, if, if um, providers can text now. I've heard different regulations from the FTC. Is that allowed? Do you know? So you can, you have the ability to text um, PHI if the patient consents to receive PHI via digital means. So, and, and most organizations that we talk to now, either by using our intake process where that consent is gained through that experience or through other processes through their existing EMR or even signing a paper form, um, you know, as long as you have that patient's consent to receive information yeah. about their care um, it, and potentially con containing PHI, um, you, you can send it. Um, the, the, um, in terms of the willingness to receive uh, electronic messages, um, that was one of the, I think, most interesting um, things that we found in the patient survey. One, um, the stat is 81% of patients that we surveyed were either likely or most likely to um, have a good feeling about their experience with the provider if they honored their communication preferences, right? So 81%. So if we're looking for ways to delight patients, um, we really do have to pay attention to the channels that they want to interact with. The challenge is when we asked um, patients what their preferred means of communication was for appointment reminders versus delivery of an estimate versus delivery of a bill and other you know, EOBs and other types of communications, it is all over the map in terms of what the, the primary and secondary and tertiary, you know, channels are. And you really can't find, you know, certainly there are patterns that break along demographic lines, um, but it's a really personal choice, right? So we really have to do a good job of asking patients what channels they want, not just in general, but for what reasons, yeah. um, honoring those preferences. And then oftentimes patients won't tell us, right? So that's another area where we're using analytics and AI um, to really understand, not based on an explicit preference that the patient 
um, provides, but based on their behavior, we can learn what channels they're, they're um, most open to because those are the ones that they use. So for example, if I sent you an email, a text communication and made a phone call, um, I can actually learn based on what you interact with, what's the best channel to interact with you. So we're really using analytics and automation and, and propensity scoring, um, not just around things like propensity to pay, which we've been doing for years, but also what's your propensity to interact with certain channels. So even if you haven't told us your preference, we can discern it from your actual behavior. Thank you. And what I'll, I'll use this as the final question. What does this do for Revenue Cycle's bottom line? Yeah. So um, Revenue Cycle is interesting when it comes to digital engagement because that has um, kind of been, I would say, the most starved in terms of getting, you know, what, what we used to call explicit consent for a patient to receive their billing communications digitally. Um, you know, we, we have, I think, what is one of the best processes in the market for um, once that patient has made a payment, we always will put in that workflow um, the option to opt in to paperless communications, use email and text. But just with the nature of healthcare, it's not always recurring, right? So you don't always get that consent. Right. Um, so we use the digital assets that we get through those other processes, through the intake process. And we've had a process in the market um, for several years now that we call digital first. And we use it really as more of kind of a, um, a way to learn and understand patient preferences, even if they haven't told us explicitly. So what we're able to do with that, we all know, um, you know, print communications and postage uh, that stamp is getting more and more expensive. So providers are really looking for better ways to engage their patients digitally. Um, when we use that digital first approach, where we use a combination of digital and printed communications, we're able to suppress, you know, not 10% of printed communications like you would with an e-bill, but closer to 50% of patients will not ever need to receive a printed statement um, because they are engaging with digital communications. So there's absolutely a cost savings opportunity using that digital approach um, for revenue cycle. There's also an ROI when it comes to yield because we can use a multi-touch approach. It's much less expensive to send a text and an email to a patient than it is a printed statement. So we can actually interact with them more, which drives up things like self-service, which reduces calls to the call center. And it also does serve very well at increasing actually the amount of money that, that providers are able to collect from their patients and, and overall yield. So it's been really effective as a way for our clients to not only reduce cost, but give patients the digital channels that they're craving and at the same time increase their collection rates. Kristen, thank you. It's been a pleasure having you on HIMSCast. No, thank you so much. Appreciate the time. <laughs>